What is up, BA family, and welcome to another episode of the Breathe and Air podcast, where everyday action meets extraordinary mindset. I'm your host, Mason Bendigo, and thank you all so much for tuning in. It's been a wild summer, a wild ride, lots of changes in life, the constant ebbs and flows, but man, it has been so fun, and I'm so excited that you guys have stayed with me throughout this journey and continued to listen to the incredible guests that we are bringing you. So today, we have... The author of Selling with Authentic Persuasion. He is a podcast host, speaker, and consultant, and has been in the sales game for a very long time, Mr. Jason Cutter. In this episode, we talk about sales, of course, and the art of sales, how to and how to not. But we also talk about authentic persuasion. We talk about how to actually connect, how to find a problem and be the solution how to see if you actually are the right solution for a customer. But we also talk about business in general and life in general, the key attributes of a good salesperson, dealing with rejection and failure, something that all of us in one way or another deal with on a day-to-day basis usually. Um, and then we talk about you know characteristics to success and that motivation is not enough and that you have to have more that is pushing you to reach your goals. So a lot to unpack here. Really, really good episode that we talk a lot about things that are tangible that you can take and utilize in your day-to-day life. If you want to hear more from Jason, you can find him on Instagram at Jason M. Cutter on his website, jasoncutter.com. You can check out his podcast, The Authentic Persuasion Show. And you can also, of course, check out the book, Selling with Authentic Persuasion. As always, if you guys haven't followed us on Instagram, go over and check us out. It is at Breathing Air Podcast on Instagram. Try and continue to keep great content for you guys there. Updates with the show, of course, really cool media that we have that goes along with every episode weekly. And then also just really keep the stories packed with stuff that we're using and utilizing day to day that I think will help optimize your life, whether that's mentally, physically, or spiritually. So go over there, check us out, give us the follow. And you can also reach out to me on that platform with any questions that you have, any feedback that you have. I'm always open to hearing all of that from y'all. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends over at Garden Fresh Media. They are a media company for social marketing, design, branding, photography, all the content or web design that you need. Look no further than Garden Fresh Media to take the next step in business. Media is not just an option. It is a requirement. So go check them out for all of your media and content needs to help your vision come to life. You can find them at GardenFreshMedia.com. If for some lucky reason you have an incredible idea and you are trying to put a logo to your brand, you can get $50 off your first logo design with promo code BREATHE50. That is promo code BREATHE50. Garden Fresh Media. No media. 
no growth. And without further ado, it is my absolute pleasure and honor to introduce to you Mr. Jason Cutter. Thanks for having me, Mason. I'm, I'm looking forward to this. I, I've been excited about this from the moment we first got introduced and spoke. And it was like, all right, so this is, this is going to be a blast. Let's see where it goes. Yeah, I've, I've spoken on this before, but it's just amazing what happens when you start being intentional in who you surround yourself with and the kind of connections that you create. Obviously, the podcast has been a stepping stool for me there, but we got introduced through a mutual friend and you know we hit it off when we first talked and I'm super excited. To, to dive into this with you today. So thank you for, thank you for being here. Yeah, let's do it. So tell me a little bit about your book, how it came to be and, and kind of what authentic persuasion is. Yeah. Well, I think it's good to kind of start a little bit backwards and we don't have to go into the whole childhood unless you want to go there. Yeah. Um, you know, I, uh, just like all podcasters, sales coaches, consultants, authors. Uh, you know, I went the standard route. I got a degree in marine biology and uh, tag sharks for years, uh, which doesn't make any sense. Uh, one thing you learn with a marine biology degree is it's not good for anything. Um, you need like more schooling. You need all these things. So I did probably what other people did, go into restaurant work and then fall into sales. And, um, and then when I got my first sales job at 27, I was in the mortgage business, 2002, right? So I'm a bit older. And, um, everyone just won. It was the housing market was going nuts. Everyone wanted to buy houses. And so I literally learned nothing about sales then either. Like literally it was just show up and make money. Like it was, it was, I learned nothing about persuading or selling. And it wasn't until years later when I was in other roles at companies where they hired me as a leader, manager, director, VP of sales. And they expected me to know everything that I actually had to figure out sales um, and what was involved. And then when I finished that career, uh, went into consulting, started my business, and I was in the process of writing my book. It was really looking back and going, what have I done? What have I trained so many people, like hundreds of other sales reps to do? Uh, what is my perspective on sales relative to my background, how I grew up, um, and what I thought about it, and and how I wanted to treat people as customers? And then that became authentic persuasion. And really, the, like it sounds, I mean, it's it's pretty simple. Most people hear that those two words and they go, yeah. Oh shoot, that makes total sense, right? Right. Yeah. Let, let's uh we'll get into the book a little bit, but I'm interested in kind of what you said there. That transition and journey from, you know, like you said, starting out not really knowing what you're gonna do with marine biology and then and totally switching paths, right? I think a lot of people go through that early in their careers and think like, oh my my head's turning, like I don't know what to do, where to go. But how did you learn along your journey and, and kind of what led you to wanting to be an entrepreneur and start your own business? So that one's a really long answer. I'll give you the short one and then we can keep talking. I think the show yeah. is long enough, but, uh, and I know this is valuable to people listening, which is for the longest time, just so you know, to set this up for the longest time, I was super embarrassed and didn't like to talk about it. Yeah. Uh, my path and my journey. And I felt ashamed in my own head, never from anybody else. Right. Sometimes I got looks from people that felt shameful um, to uh, basically that I didn't do the standard model, especially growing up. There was, there's still no standard model. There's no more American dream. But in my mind, I thought 
graduate high school, go to college, get a degree, get a career, have that job for a long time, get married, have kids, buy a house, do the thing, have your vacations, retire. Uh, and I screwed that up, that blueprint up early and often, right? Like that is like, and more people can relate to not having that path anymore. Right. Very few people can be like, yeah, I went to school and I did this thing and it was easy. And then I just like, life was so linear. It's just not that way. But it wasn't until I was like late thirties where I was beating myself up perpetually and just embarrassed internally, embarrassed by my windy path that I realized, wait a second, everything that I'd done, all of my windy path, all my experiences that we haven't even touched on yet, right. um, have led me to the point where A, I have a ton of experience and I can talk to anybody about anything pretty much. Uh, and then B, like I've been through enough stuff, especially the downs, not just the ups, but the downs, which makes me super empathetic, super want to help people and very skilled at helping people in certain areas of life that I've been through and been punched in the face enough times um, where I was like, wow, this, this really builds that care. What they talk about that, right? No pain, no gain. Like that windy path makes you who you are. Um, and I, I turned around and I appreciated it. And I was like, because of that, I have this value I can give to other people. And then I realized looking back, okay, here's the points at which I felt the most excited where I helped people the most, which was helping sales teams fix themselves and, and help them get better. And I was like, I want to go into consulting. I want to have yeah. my own business. I want to do that and, and, and be able to help lots of people. Yeah, it triggered me to go uh, to school online because I was traveling at the time uh, and got my MBA so I could tie it together and give myself some business sense to go with a sales sense uh, in my marine biology degree, of course. That's what you do. <laughs> and, uh, and then I was like, okay, this is, this is where I want to go with this. Yeah. Did you have a past of writing or did you have a writing practice before? <laughs> you Writing, like writing the, the book? Writing the book. Like, did you have... No. Like any of that? So uh, to just to everybody knows, like um, I'm really good in math and science. Like when we're talking about school, high school, even, even elementary school, starting elementary school, really good math and science. Like I was in calculus in high school type of math. Yeah. SATs, when I took the SAT, I crushed the math section and barely passed the <laughs> English section. Uh, my brain is math and science. English is my worst, right? Like those are the worst grades I've ever gotten is like English grammar. I'm still struggling with English, right? Like I'm, I'm still trying to figure it out. Uh, even in this day and age, uh, luckily I have a really good editor, uh, who helps <laughs> me a lot. The thing was, is when I sat down to write this book, um, I had a plan and a blueprint and really I just let it flow. And I wrote like I talk mm -hmm. and just had that conversation out on paper. Nice thing is, is I don't write very well grammatically grammatically can't even say it um but i can write really fast and then when i get in the flow it just flows um mm. and then you know have other people help on a team definitely wouldn't want to read the first version of one. <laughs> hey, <laughs> teamwork makes a dream work right teamwork man in their flow and this is something that i'm very interested in as far as from an athlete perspective i feel like i could tap into a flow state uh from work perspective now there's always these times where we feel like we're flowing, where everything else fades away. We get this tunnel vision. Is there anything that, you know, you've done or any things that you've seen that help you get into that state? Or is it kind of something that just happens? So a couple of things. I think sometimes it just happens. Sometimes you're just in it and you're just like, whoa, where did the last three hours go? Because it's right. just gone in a good way, right? Like it's just liquid fire just happening all around you. Mm -hmm. Um 
couple of tricks that I have found that works really well is figuring out where that peak time and that flow state is more likely to happen. Is it 5 a.m. in the morning for you? Is it noon? Is it evening? Like when is that helps. I've also done like when I was writing the book, there was times where I just didn't have a choice. Um, so for example, when I wrote the book, I was working full time as a more than full time as a VP of sales and marketing. So I had a full time executive level job. I wake up at five in the morning, go to the gym for a half hour, just to wake up mostly not really to work out too much, but just to wake up. And then I would go to Starbucks. Usually my goal was 6am. And then I was working a slightly different shift because I was helping call centers in other countries. Um, and I'd literally write from like six to eight, six to eight 30 a.m. And then I'd work from nine till seven, nine till eight at night, and then yeah. right on the weekends. Um, one of the tricks that I did, and this is, I thought I was really crazy. And then I read that other people do this. Tim Ferriss talks about it in his Tools of Titans book. Um, I'll listen to the same song over and over again for yeah. four or five hours straight on repeat. And it literally, there's science behind it. It will trigger your brain to just tune everything out and go into this more subconscious level. Mm. And you just don't even notice it. I'll, listen, I'll get off a flight after five hours and I'll be like, did I just literally listen to that song for five yeah. hours straight? And it's like, yeah, I did. And I have no idea what happened on that flight. And I've written, you know, 8,000 words. Yeah. Um, and what also do, and I, other people talk about this, is listening to the same, um, maybe it's the same CD, the same thing, or have the same movie on the background. I do that now where I, there's one CD I, or one album I listened to when I wrote the book. And now when I play that by halfway through the first song, I'm in the flow. Next thing you know, the album's over and I'm just like, okay, that chapter's done. It's just done. <laughs> That's awesome. Tools of Titans, by the way, y'all. Great book. Incredible book. I mean, so much good stuff. I reread it all the time and just kind of look over the stuff that I highlighted. And it's, I love that book. Tim Ferriss is great. Um, but what what CD? I'm interested. Is there a CD? So that- it's uh it, it's the Tool album that came out like two years ago. I can't remember the specific name of the Tool album, but that one's such a good background music. Yeah. Um, depending on how fast I want to type, I'll listen to something more angry or something more calming. <laughs> um, but Tool is a nice blend because there's not much lyrics in it. And yeah, it's just kind of there and just like this pulsating thing in the background. I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's so weird. But I've also listened to like pop songs. You know, yeah. just uh, imagine like a LMFAO song for five hours on repeat. And it's just like, I just gets me going. I was like, okay, cool. Let's just go. Like it's so weird. It's on a chalkboard. One of the two, one of the (laughs) depends on the mood. (laughs) Yeah. It depends on the mood. That's awesome though. I'm definitely going to try that because it's, it's a state that when, like you said, time just melts away. Like you don't, you look up three hours gone and it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing, but it's, it's harder at times. So those little tips and tricks, that was, Really practical thing. I like that. I'm definitely going to have to try that. There's a quote that I saw on your Instagram as I'm you know, getting ready for the show, and it's, motivation is not enough. If you have an idiot and you motivate him, you have a motivated idiot. And I love that because I've gotten so into you know, this motivation space, motivating yourself, motivating others, how to do it correctly you know, how to use that energy that you can cultivate through quote unquote motivation. But at the end of the day, it's not enough, right? It's the whole concept of you can sit there and and manifest like, I'm going to have a great job, great relationship. I'm going to do all these things. But if you just sit on your ass, like none of that's going to happen. There has to be action behind it. So what does that mean to you as far as motivation? Um, So like with that quote in particular, there's a lot of people who 
they're they're motivation junkies right they they watch lots of motivation they go through stuff but then they just don't take action mm-hmm. um for me you got to have that information and be motivated so you have to have that blend i mean you also you have to be careful not to just collect too much information and not be motivated waiting for the right perfect thing and get stuck in analysis paralysis um for me personally with the motivation side and what drives me is just helping people helping people transform helping people in whatever ways that i can um that's what really drives me and then that's where I, again, when I looked back at my life, had collected all these experiences, things that I've done, and ways that I've helped people such that like, I, I have perspective. Now, there's certain things I just don't sell or can't help people with because I don't have the experience with it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, I just stick with what I am, am best at. Yeah. Helping others. I've heard you mention that multiple times. What is it yeah. you that you know, gives you that feeling, that motivation to help others? Um, you know, so my mission statement, so I, what's interesting about life is, is it's always an evolution. Companies have mission statements, they have visions. So if they're small, they don't a lot of times, right? And you hear this, you see it, like you see a mission statement for a company, like, oh, that's amazing. Like, I don't have one. A lot of people will always say as an individual, you should have your own mission statement, your own core values, things that drive you when you need to make a decision. I've just been evolving it for years. Some resonate, some don't resonate. Um, and so it's always just a practice. It's always, you know, and it's always a season of your life. My current mission statement for me, especially focused on business, is to facilitate transformation by enabling and encouraging people to have light bulb moments, to help the underdog win at their game, and then to leave people better than I found them. Mm-hmm. And so those are, those are my three things. Um, and it's coming from like my childhood. I was uh, a uh, late blooming, awkward, uh, bullied only child as a kid. And, uh, you know, always for the underdog. My family was always for the underdog. I have two analytical parents. Uh, you know, they also hated salespeople, which (laughs) we can talk about that when it comes to sales. Um, so for me, I have a place in my heart of like just helping people serving. I think in another life I would have been a teacher, something with just a purely teacher academic path. Uh, and it's just that place, that light bulb moment. When I say something to anybody, even this part where we were talking about getting into the flow, like for me, that's a win right? It's not about selling. I'm not trying to sell you anything. I don't, you know, I'm not trying to sell the audience anything, but if that helps somebody, that's awesome. Like that just, and you do enough of that, right? Like the Zig Ziglar quote, you help enough other people get what they want in life. You'll get everything you want in life. Mm -hmm. And, um, just firmly believe that. Yeah, I agree. It's one of the, it's one of the better feelings, uh, that Zig Ziglar quote, quote hits it on the nail there. It's so interesting listening to you and hearing about, you know, you're the math, the science brain and <laughs> background and, and your personality. And then you're into sales, right? And you kind of mentioned this is the stigma around a salesperson and, and how to navigate that kind of process, right? So what are some of the key attributes of a great salesperson? Uh, to me... A, it's that authentic piece, right? It's why I called the book what I did. Mm-hmm. It's the authentic piece and being true to who you are first and knowing what you are about and, and how you operate and bringing that, right? Bringing your strengths instead of trying to pretend to be other people. We've all met people who are pretending or putting on you know, this fake front. Uh, when it happens in sales, it feels even more gross when mm. somebody's like pretending to be this salesperson and be right. your friend. And it's like, this sucks. I don't want to buy from you. Um, and so there's that it, to me, really the, 
best attributes for a salesperson is looking at the world in an abundant place and seeing their role as one of service, right? Mm. Like my job to help you as a salesperson isn't to get you to buy something and trick you into it so that I can win. It's to how do I serve you through what I'm selling if it makes sense and it's something I'm doing with you and for you, right? To me, sales is something I'm doing with you and for you, not to you, which is where that line gets crossed. Uh, and then when you have that attitude and that focus, then it's, to me, it's so much easier because it's like, can I help you or not? If I can help you, great. Here's how I can help you. Here's where we're going to go. Uh, and I want to help you. And uh, it's just totally different. Right. I love that approach of looking at it as, not how many people can I get to come on, but how many of the right people can I get to use the product service? The people that I actually think that it can benefit versus it benefiting me. And that's where I think the biggest catalyst for change is, is when you start finding the specific clientele, the specific people that your product really can help, whatever that service or product is, versus that one size fits all approach of like, come one, come all, like the, the more the better. Because I think in reality, the more the better when it comes to this is not necessarily the case. And, and it, it, in my experience, it's triggered by two things that usually put people into that, like let's say the negative mindset or the negative space, mm-hmm. is that one side you're looking at other companies out there, like an Amazon or a Facebook or something like that, where they've got millions of people and you're like, that's what I want to do. Like that's what success is. I've got to have, you know, 150 right. million customers, mm-hmm. right? It's like, okay, I've got to have everybody. I got to collect them all, right? Like I'm Snapchat, right? Or TikTok <laughs> or whatever. And so people see that and they see, okay, that's success. Um, and then on the other side of that, which can put on that pressure is when people are coming from a place of scarcity, which is, I need to make money or I need to be successful at this. Anybody I talk to, let me try to put some square pegs in round holes because I got to get paid or I don't know anything different. And then when you step back, you go 8 billion people on the planet. There's more than enough. If I find the right people, they'll be happy. And I do exercises with sales teams all the time, which is how many do you need? Like what does success look like? And really, we'll look at the number. Like I've worked in environments where people are closing three, four deals a day because it's you know shorter consumer sales, right? And then there's B2B long sales cycle. But you, if you're closing three or four deals a day, if you were to do that for 10 years, that's still a fraction of the population of the people you probably could sell to anyway. And there's really no reason to be desperate right. or force things. Right. That reminds me of like the overall mindset of an abundance mindset versus a scarcity yeah. mindset. And that's, but it's tough, but yeah. you gotta, you gotta be careful. Cause here's the thing that's dangerous, which is where the subtitle of my book, which is transformed from order taker to quota breaker. Mm-hmm. It's really dangerous because some people will come at me with abundance or come at their sales role with abundance and be like, well, I just don't want to force things. So there's more than enough people. So they sit back and they go too far to the I'm just going to wait for people who have money in their hand, who's going to pay me and don't have questions or objections or need to talk to their spouse or their boss. I just, you know, abundance means I'll just wait for the easy ones. I'll sit on my couch and wait for people to hand me money. Um, And that's not what sales is. That's order taking. Um, So there's a, there's a balance with abundance. You have to be careful of. Right. How do you find that line there? 
Um, it's really that qualification. So the, the best way to do it and the approach, in my opinion, is early in the conversation, you're talking to a prospective customer, right? In whatever you're selling and you're, you're going through your discovery qualification process, asking questions and figuring out, is it a good fit? Do you have problem X? If you have problem X or goal X and I have solution X, then it's game on. Then my job is to help you buy and persuade you past your fears and your limiting beliefs and whatever is hanging you up, right? If you have problem Y and I have problem X, I'm going to wish you well, give you some guidance, send you on your way, maybe ask for some referrals, but I'm not going to force that. Um, right. That's the thing. Once that point happens where I've determined you need or want what I have and it will benefit you, then abundance, that part is checked. We're done. Now I'm in sales mode. Now I'm going to persuade. Now I'm going to help you get unstuck. Mm, I love that. I love that. I, I heard a quote about, you know, don't look to start a business, look to fix a problem. Yep. And, and I think the same way with sales, we're there to fix problems. We're not there to do anything else other than be of service. And that's a great way to look at it. With that service though comes rejection, right? This is a classic part of you know, sales, this is a part of life. We get rejected, we fail. Uh, but especially as a salesperson and anyone that does sales knows that that's, that's part of the role. So how do we deal with rejection and failure within the sales cycle, within the, you know, uh, quotas or within interpersonal connections with someone that you really want to close and something doesn't work out at the last minute, right? How do we use that to our advantage and to be able to bounce back from that and be better? So I think a couple of things. One is the mindset of looking at what success means in sales and what a really good, successful salesperson, unless they're being handed just easy business all the time, you're not going to close 100%. So most likely, if you're really good long-term, you might be closing at 30%, maybe 40%, depending on your environment you're in, which means you're losing 60, 70% of the time if you're awesome. Yeah. Right. Depending on your field. And obviously it's, everything is different. Um, but you could be losing, you're probably losing more times than you're winning. Same thing. Like I used to get frustrated early on in my career when I felt like the expectation was me to hit a hundred percent home runs. Every person I talked to, especially when I was in the mortgage business. And I was like, that's not fair. You, you could be a hall of fame baseball player with a 30, you know, a 0.33 batting average, which means you strike out two thirds of the time and you're hall of fame and everyone knows who you are. Um, and so that's just the life you've got to accept. You just got to understand that. Now, what to do with that or how to address that in the moment or in your career, there's three things, right? So is it who, basically you're looking at fault. So is it my fault? Is it your fault, Mr. Customer? Or is it like some other circumstances fault? I also put it in terms of it's not personal, it's business, but it's also not business, it's personal. So for example, I'm, I'm selling to you. I think this could be a good fit. We've determined that it could be a good fit and you say no and this, this falls apart. I first want to look at myself and say, did I do everything I could? Did I handle it? Did I, was I prepared? Did I have all my material? Did I have the best responses? Did I ask you all the questions I need. Did I do my job, right? Like if I'm a football player or baseball player or anything, when I watch the game footage after the game, we lost. But when I look at it and go, I did everything I could, I left it all on the field. 
then that's good. A lot of times the answer to that is no. You watch the game footage or you think back to that interaction, you're like, yeah, I messed up here. I forgot to do this. I could have been better here. That's when it's personal. That's when I take it personal and go, that was a loss. That was my fault, right? Mm -hmm. Like you watch professional, I'm a big basketball fan. There's times where the team loses because it's their own fault. They sucked, right? They, They messed it up and they lost. Then there's times where a team plays against somebody else and they just get beat. They brought everything they could, but they got beat and they couldn't do anything else about it. And then I look at that as well from a sales perspective, which say, okay, then it's not, and then it's business, not personal, which means it wasn't about me. I didn't mess up. I just, they didn't want to decide. And then you also look, sometimes people have bought, they just bought what you're trying to sell and there's really nothing you can do. That's just life. Um, And, you know, not take that one personal either. Yeah. It's, it's very, very true. There's uh, there's something on your website that I've seen that I'm interested in, and it's it's the 30-Day Authentic Persuader Challenge. So for anyone that's interested this far, they've made it this far, 30-Day <laughs> Authentic Persuader Challenge, what is it? So uh, what I did was I took the book, and I think books are great. One of the things I know for myself and for other people is, you know, the term is shelf help book, where you, read, you buy a book, maybe you read it, gets on the shelf. I have a whole bunch behind me. Uh, I've read them all, but I don't know. Last time I've cracked open some of them and you don't put them in place, right? There's lots of good value. I'm a, I underline, I highlight, I dog ear pages. I write summaries. Like I go nuts when I read a book and then I put it on the shelf and who knows what happens next. Right. So really my goal always is to help people take action. And so what I've done is taken principles from the book. And then in this 30 day online challenge, it's about, you know, something to focus on every day, work on both the authentic side and then the persuasion. So it's mindset, it's who you are, what you're bringing to the table and what your fears are, your limitations, you know, what, what baggage are you bringing? Because here's the thing, when you walk into your sales career, you have been a customer at some point in your life prior to that, you've had good and bad experiences. Mm-hmm. The bad experiences shape you, then you get into your role and then you sell like you like to buy, which is not going to work at scale. Like literally you're limiting yourself if you treat everyone like you like to be treated. Mm-hmm. The golden rule is great, but that you will fail in sales when you follow that rule. Um, and so it's about that. And then the persuasion pieces, the, the actual steps, like how do you put some tools in place? And so it's really about people who want to do some, not just read a book, which of course, buy the book, yes. But like getting into something and like putting it into place and actually shifting your sales career. Mm. Where can they find the book? If they're interested at this point, where can they find the book? Uh, it's available on Amazon. So there's the hardcover, the Kindle, and then the audible. If you like hearing me and you want to hear me for about five and a half hours, read through the book, you can, you can <laughs> check out the audible. Um, and then, or you can buy it directly on authenticpersuasion.com. So it's there. Uh, also there's teams that I've worked with where they'll buy a bunch for their team and do a book club, uh, you know, with their sales team and managers will buy them. Companies will buy them. So that's always fun too. I love that. Cause again, I just want people to put it into action. You just talked about having your first, you know, speaking gig earlier pre-show. How, how was that? And, and as someone who's used to podcasting, you know, one-on-one where a lot of it the last year obviously has been digital. How was it to get back in front of people and speak to an audience? Um, so what's interesting is I've done a lot of public speaking. I did Toastmasters year, years ago when I realized that sales and sales training and sales management is public speaking just on a smaller scale. And so right. I literally went to Toastmasters. I did that for two years, did dozens of speeches and competed. Um, and, uh, I've had my podcast. One of the things that's made me really lazy is I've done a lot of virtual events over the past year, but 
two screens. You can have some notes. You can have some bullet points. You know, you can keep, you have slides. You can, you kind of guide your way through it. It's, it's easy, right? It's not completely lazy, but it's like, there's some guides, right? You can have cue cards. You could take che- stuff all over the wall and help you, right? People, you don't know necessarily see it, right? Same thing, Saturday Night Live. They've got cue cards for people in case they screw up their lines. You, you, sometimes you can tell, sometimes you can't. You're on stage, 45 minutes. I don't like slides with a lot of text, so I didn't give myself a lot of easy things I could just read off a slide, which would be miserable. Uh, and so it was a lot of prep. I had to, you know, take it old school, go back to, okay, memorizing pretty much 45 minutes of content yeah. and, uh, and present. But it was, it was super fun. It was great to be out in the world again, to be speaking, to talk to people. Um, it was, it's just always fun. It's one of those things where beforehand, just still always, no matter what, no matter what tell, anyone tells you, just want to, you just feel sick. Just the nerves, the butterflies, the, the rejection, all the primal stuff in our brain that's saying, don't do it. Like you're risking your life. Right. Um, during it, you just kind of go in the zone. And then after there's just that feeling of elation when you're like, yes, I'm done. I don't have to do that again. Right. Like the school presentation. And yeah. uh, so that's always fun. That's awesome. That's awesome. I've always been intrigued about the public speaking side of things that intertwines with an audio form like this, or, you know, writing a book, or even the sales side of things, marketing side, being able to have public speaking in your back pocket, I think is incredible. Are there any tips or tricks that you have? So one thing, and, and I mentioned this, but if anyone's interested in public speaking, I always recommend Toastmasters. Toastmasters International, you can join it. There's clubs. I bet if you go to their website and you look in a radius of about 10 miles from wherever you live, there's literally a bunch of clubs. It's uh, a great way to go. People think it's crazy to practice for fun, public speaking in front of others, but it's a great way to go. I definitely recommend that. It, it'll help you with the skills. Um, so that's the main thing. I always recommend that to anybody, especially sales, but if you want to do that. And then the other part is it, that really helped me a lot is I tried to memorize everything word for word early on in my speaking career. Then I real like it was so stressing me out because I'm not the greatest at that. Then I realized, wait, people don't have my script. People don't know what I'm saying. Like it's not <laughs> like they have it in front of them. So the bullet points, the message, the intent, the highlights are what's most important. And then that helps relax them. And then you just go with it. Same thing with sales, right? Like this, our podcast, you have some notes. I have some things I want to talk about. Like that, if they come up, like we'll chat about it. Some things I generally talk about. Otherwise we're just going with it, right? Like we have an intention. You have kind of a plan and a blueprint yeah. and just be okay with whatever happens and have the confidence to go, all right, we'll just, let's just talk. Let's just be yeah. normal. <laughs> right, right. It's almost like that, you know, preparation and performance aspect that ties in together it's at the point of hey you know for me in sports it was I'm here it's game time there's literally no reason like there's no walking off the stage at this point you know we walk on and we and we play to the level of our preparation and I think that's the same thing when it comes to you know sales and before you make a pitch before you have a meeting or before you do a public speaking, right? We just fall to the level of our preparation. And at that point, you just got to let it fly. <laughs> that's it, right? And that's the key is you've got to realize, like if you've played any sports like you have, once you walk on that field or on that court, all the preparation's gone. You're just instinct now, right? If you think about it, you're done, right? The moment you start overthinking, you're done. Um, and so you've just got to trust that you've prepared enough. Like you said, you've played to the level of your preparation. Same thing with speaking, same thing with sales, same thing with anything where you just prepare enough. And then in the moment 
just got to get in the zone and just trust that you know what you're talking about. Um, and if it sucks, then you learn from that and it will suck because it does all the time uh, right. whenever you try something new and uh, just get back up. This may put a time sensitive stamp on this episode, but we're <laughs> talking about basketball. You said you're a basketball fan. Obviously, we got the tournament going on right now. It's March Madness and I'm a little heartbroken, you know, I bet. Uh, everybody is Razorback fan. Um, we played in the Elite Eight last night and this was one of those games that, you know, we just got beat. I, I really truly believe they, they played hard and just got beat. But are you who's who you got in your bracket? If it's probably busted by now, I'm sure <laughs> uh, if I had it, you know, what's funny is this probably would have been the year where I would have gotten done really well with a bracket because I'm not a huge college basketball fan. Uh, March Madness. I used to follow it years ago. Whenever I filled out a bracket, I'm like, oh, that sounds cool. Oh, they they should win. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, I'm not picking based on like, oh, that's a pretty color, but somewhere close to that. Yeah. And this probably this would have been the year I would have made millions in my bracket. I <laughs> <laughs> was too. I just, you know, kind of was, well, I'll see who this guy, I'll probably pick this upset, pick this upset, but it's one of those years, you know, that you never knew it yeah. was going to happen. That's why they call it. So magic. keep in mind, like for me, a lot of people don't put these two things together. It's like if you went to college and there was a team there, like you, you're you, either you've lived in that state the whole time or that area, or you went to college and you have your college team. I went to UC Santa Cruz. That's where I got my marine biology degree. Our, our mascot is the banana slug. Um, there's no like top sports teams in anything. Um, in fact, I think what they, they're probably their best performing team is the ultimate Frisbee team. Um, <laughs> I was in the scuba club. So that like tells you kind of like the kind of school I went to. The banana slug. I need to look the this banana. up and see what these yeah. look like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're, they're gross. They're like five, six inches long, giant yellow, looks like a cigar. And wow. Uh, yeah, yeah, they're, they're pretty wild. That's wild. So anyway, so I don't have that like, okay, here's my college affiliated right. basketball or football team. No. <laughs> Right, right. Well, hey, I mean, you know, we all got to have mas mascots, but the banana slug is definitely in the unique one. I would, I would, yes. I would say there's an acronym that I saw on, you know, your account. It said it was duty drive until the yes. Yep. Explain that a little bit to me. Yeah. So again, this is a, a delicate balance. So keeping in mind that we have had to have already qualified, pre-qualified somebody that we're talking to. So I've determined you have problem X or goal X, depending on what you're selling or helping with, and that I have solution X so I can help you get there. I can leave you in a better place. I can get you into a better spot. Business-wise, personal-wise, doesn't matter what I'm, I'm selling, as long as there's going to be a benefit. From that point on, I mentioned this earlier, that's where the abundance part, we check that box, now it becomes about sales and persuasion. And my job, if I'm a professional, if I'm a true professional in sales, then my job is to get you to buy. Now, I don't mean in a manipulative, like pulling out tricks and tactics and I'm going to do this to you and make you buy. Like not talking about manipulation. I'm talking about the fact that if you haven't already bought from me, if you didn't already hand me money, it's because there's some part of you that still is unsure. The primal part of your brain is afraid, uh, worried about uh, making a mistake. Everybody is afraid of change and what that means. And we can go way back mentally and where that comes from, from like prehistoric days. Um, but unless they've said, unless they've said, yes, I want to buy already, 
you're having to convince them that it's safe. So you want to help them be safe and see your option as safe. And as a professional, you it's your duty to help them buy. You're driven to the yes. And the example that I use all the time and where I got a lot of this stuff is the using an analogy of, let's say, the medical profession. And so imagine, here's, here's what like not good sales looks like on the order taker side is imagine if you go into the doctor, you go into the emergency room, your arm is broken. The doctor goes through their process, x-ray, exam, goes through everything, says, hey, you, we, we're looking at the x-rays, you have a compound fracture, we're going to need to reset your arm. We're going to have to re-break your arm. And then we'll have to put a cast on it. We'll give you some medicine. Um, here's my business card. Here's a brochure. Uh, if you're interested, let me know. I'll follow up with you next week. Oh, by the way, if you decide to buy before next Friday, um, before the end of the quarter, you can save 20% off. Um, just let us know if, you, if you're interested. Um, and if you have any questions, you know you can call us back. Right? That would be terrible. You'd be sitting there like, no. That's why I'm here. Like, fix my arm. Like, I'm here. Um, but a lot of salespeople do that, where they're just like, you know, they're afraid. They don't want to cross that line, but then they're too far to the other extreme. Instead, what does the doctor do? Your arm is broken. We got to reset it. We're going to put a cast on it. We'll give you some pain medication. Then we'll see you in six weeks. Any questions before we get started? Okay, hold on. This is going to hurt, but I promise we'll get you better, right? It's their duty. They took an oath. The Hippocratic oath says they will not cause undue harm to other people. Like if you walked out of that ER without letting, letting them help you, they see that as a failure personally right. and professionally. When right. you sell that way, if, if, I'm, if I could help you and you walk away and I didn't help you and I couldn't mm. convince you to get unstuck, I have failed you. Mm. That's a great, that's an amazing analogy. Great way to look at it. Great way to look at it. I mean, that, that line of, you know, like you said, the duty of us pushing somebody, but at the same time, not wanting to come off pushy. Is there a, is there a cycle or is, there, is this unique to each person as far as how long do you give yourself to create these relationships, be authentic versus, hey, I need, you know, I need to, I need to close this guy. Um, so that's going to depend on, on several things. There's you and your personality and how long it takes for you. Some people mm -hmm. are slower to build rapport. Some people build it faster. Just depends. It depends on you plus the other person. You'll talk right. to somebody and it's like an instant connection. You, you know, like you and I, we talked the first time. We're like, oh, this is going to be a blast. Like yeah. literally, let's just go. We could have hit record like last time we talked. We just like, <laughs> let's go. We don't need any prep. This is going to be awesome. Like it's a right. good connection. Other people you talk to, because I have my own podcast where it's like, Okay, this is going to take some time to warm up. Like we got to, like we might have to talk a few times before this right. is a good thing. Um, so that combination just depends. Also depends on what you're selling, what the sales cycles, the expectation is. That, are they expecting quick, or do they think this is going to take a long time? Um, and so it's 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 different. That's the authenticity piece, right? Like I have a framework that I use and I teach people, but then I also don't have a framework for timing. Spend three minutes on this. Now do this for three minutes. Right. Now do this for six minutes, and then do this. Like no, we're not. You're not a robot. Your customer's not a robot. Until robots can automatically like help other people buy, you're there because you're dealing with a messy human uh, that's unpredictable, and uh, you just got to be able to handle that. Right. It's, it could kind of be in correlation with the motivation thing, but I feel like structures, you know, you need structures, you need processes and systems, but at, like you said, it's, we're all human at some point or another. Right. And, and each individual is different. Each situation is different and unique and you don't, 
want your customer to think that you're approaching them with a the one size fits all approach. I say this all the time about health in general. Uh, health, I know we're go- that's totally different than what we're talking about, but right, there is yep. no size fits all approach. Mm-hmm. Everyone's genetics are different. Everyone's activity levels are different. We all have different lives and habits and style. Like that's the same way with approaching a customer. And so what's your relationship with structures and, you know, processes versus being able to kind of have that free flowing style to allow creativity in, in that sales sales process? I think, I think what you said is, is brilliant and I love it. And there's always that balance, right? Even if it's a one size fits all, let's say health, I have this one program. Here's my diet program. Here's my workout program. Or I run a yoga studio. I don't have 19 different yoga classes. I do at 10 AM. I do one yoga class. Like I want you to sign up for that yoga class. However, in your sales process and in the framework, it's about what are your needs Mr. or Mrs. Perspective customer, what are you looking for? And then what would you get from whatever I'm selling, health, sales, business, doesn't matter. Um, And how does that fit for you? And it's making them customer. Again, even if you sell the same thing, if I were to sell washing machines, like it might be the same washing machine, but what it means to them and how it will help them with their goals is the part that matters. And that's all that matters. And that's what helps that pushy side. Because if I just think everyone should want, want this one thing, and I treat everyone the same and I don't care about them, it's going to feel pushy and manipulative. And that balance between like scripted, structured, I've got to do this and follow this thing. And then, okay, I've got to deal with this person who might have questions, might stop me here, might derail me here, is using another analogy is imagine I, I want to go, like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come visit you, right? So I'm in California and I'm going to drive to Arkansas. And so I got it. I got my starting point. I got my destination. There's a couple places along the way that I want to visit because I want to see some things. Those are, let's say, those are the the milestones in my sales process, like building rapport and and having empathy and discovery questions and your demo, your explanation, your you know your your sales part of it. And then when I get in the car and I start heading, then who knows what's going to happen? Traffic, detours. I get excited by the world's largest ball of yarn, so I take a detour for a day and I go check that out because I've never seen that and that's amazing. Um, you know, I get a flat tire, my car breaks, and I'm totally derailed on the side of the road for a while, and I've got to work that out. I know where my destination is. I know where I want to go. I will get there if my intention's clear enough. Like I will figure out a way. And there's some milestones, but I'm also totally okay with whatever happens in between those the start and the stop. Mm. Very, very wise there. I'm going to take a page out of Tim Ferriss's book here since we spoke on him and <laughs> books and you have lots of books behind you. What is a book recommendation? And it, it could be anything outside of, you know, it doesn't have to be sales, just a book recommendation that comes to mind. So, so I, let me let me frame this up or preface this and then I want to ask you a question on this as well. Is one of the things that I have troubles with with book recommendations is the same way that I sell, which is it's not a one size fits all. <laughs> right. So if you're like you asked me that question, and this is kind of what I teach people to do with sales wise, right? Like I've actually done sessions where we use this as a perfect example, is okay, what kind of book are you looking for? What do you normally right. read? What's your goal? Like, what is it that you want to learn? Because I don't want to throw out one book because it might apply or might not apply. So give me some categories or give me like, okay, okay. this category, this category. Yeah, so let's go. 
or for who? Yeah, for who? Okay. Someone who's, uh, I hate, I hate the word self-help. I hate self-help. It's okay. Go for it. Let's go favorite business book. So my favorite business book, depending if you're in business, an entrepreneur, you're running a business, the classic is The E-Myth Revisited by Michael Gerber. Okay. Um, if you're in business. So if you're running a business or want to start a business, it, it literally will explain why most small businesses fail. It's been the framework for everything I've done business-wise for a long time, 17 years, when building systems, building sales teams, right. you know, growing companies. Um, that's one of them. The other one that I would recommend if you're running a business or running a team, if you're a solopreneur or entrepreneur or anything like that, it's the one I've been recommending the most the last six months is The Road Less Stupid uh, by Cunningham. I forget his first name all the time. I want to say Randy, but I don't think that's it. Uh, Road Less Stupid. And the biggest punchline from that one, spoiler alert, is um, start less things, finish more things. So one of the problems for people like me, solopreneurs, business owners, anybody, is you start lots of things and you don't finish them. So start less things, finish more things. Oh, that's that's powerful. That's anyone that has uh, high achieving goals, aspirations, you know, uh, is listening to an hour of a podcast that's talking about sales and getting better. Uh, you're probably in that category at this point. I know. I Especially if you're listening to this podcast like I do at one and a half to two times speed with an app that trims the silence and the gaps out, which is probably why I talk so fast because I hear them so fast. Uh, if you're doing that, then you definitely need that book, Road Less Stupid, because you're already, you're already amped up. You're doing too much. That's something that I've been trying to find, right? That balance of hey, I'm trying to do these things. I'm trying to, you know, level up in very various aspects of life. And kind of like we said earlier, I feel like all this ties back to business, being able to find the balance, having structures in place, but being able to, you know, let loose, find balance in life, find balance in flow and, and be able to let things come, but also be able to push forward. And it all seems to tie together at the end of the day when I look at it like that. Yeah. And then the other book recommendation. So this is the book that I recommend for uh, any managers or leaders. Okay. This is my number one. If somebody says I need one book recommendation, this is the number one I recommend for that. Um, also for anybody who actually has a relationship with anybody in their life. You have a mm. parent, you have a kid, you have a significant other, you're a human, there's other humans in your life. Uh, the Five Love Languages. So that is funny enough. And it usually people like what you're, you've lost it, man. Um, that's my number one, like management book recommendation across the board. Like, unless it's industry specific, that's the one. Right. I'm interested in why this one spoke to you the most for that, because I've been in good situations with good management, good coaches, and I've been on the other side as well. So why love language? Why? I mean, right. So, so the five love languages, um, basically what it says is that everybody has an innate, like primary, maybe a secondary love language. That means that if, when they get this thing, that equals love. And the five love languages are touch, words of affirmations, gifts, quality time, and acts of service. So if somebody is a gift receiver, if I give you a gift and your love language is gifts, that means if I give you a gift, you love it. If I said, hey, you're doing a great job and I appreciate you and you're a gift person, you'd be like, whatever. Like, okay, 
Like that doesn't, that just falls on deaf ears because that doesn't speak to you. And um, so the challenge is, and I'll get to the business side in, in a second. The challenge is, is that we, by default, as these primal brains that we have, we're completely self-centered on autopilot if we're not careful. And all we're thinking about is ourselves and our own survival. And so we generally, I mentioned this earlier about people who sell the way they buy, is we give the way that we like to get. So what you see a lot is somebody who's a gift person, they give lots of gifts. If I give you a gift and you don't like it, because I like gifts, now I feel like you don't care about me and it hurts. But I think everyone loves gifts because I love gifts, right? If everyone loves words of affirmations, that's because that's what I love. I'm going to say nice things about everybody. And most of the people are going to be like, they won't accept those compliments and it, it, it feels gross. And so in a management perspective, One of the things is people usually rise up in the ranks to some kind of leadership. They usually don't have a lot of training. I've worked with tons of companies. Nobody has like, okay, we're going to sit you down for the next six months and teach you how to be a manager or a leader, right? It's like, hey, you're now a manager. Good luck. You were good in sales. Hey, good luck with this team of salespeople, right? And so what happens is people then manage the way they like to be managed and they give what they like to receive and they treat everyone. You see this with salespeople, people who are like, I love money. Why isn't the whole team motivated by money? Well, some people like quality time. Some people want you to just say nice things. Literally, you could throw all your money away. If you give them a compliment, that's worth more than the money you're trying to hand them and bribe them with. Like, it doesn't work. And so the key with that and the lesson is treating other people how they want to be treated, what means love and respect and and whatnot for them. And when you do that, then people will follow you as far as you want to go. Um, and then obviously personal wise, like we're all in relationships and then understanding your partner, your parents, your kids, you know, siblings, what they like and speaking their language instead of just your own game changer, literally a game changer. So, so good there. So good. There's, there's one more question that I had to ask that I think will cap this off perfectly, but what is your definition of success? (laughs) So funny because that's literally what I end my podcast with. Um, (laughs) And uh, did that for my season four and collected a bunch of them. And you know what's interesting is I realized through a mentor of mine is that I asked that from a lot of people because I didn't know what mine was. And I was like searching to see what everyone else's was. Mm -hmm. And so for me, the answer is I don't know. Like I'm still figuring that out. It's interesting because I've been looking at everyone's answers and going, (laughs) okay, what resonates the most? I think, you know, for me, my definition of success is every day impacting other people and leaving things better than I found them in some way. Um, and always be always looking for ways to grow and the growing then facilitates being able to help other people in new or different ways or learning new things. And so it's really about that growth and that act of service whenever I can. And it could be small things, right? Like going to the grocery store and, and somebody smiles cause it's just, I'm, I'm not, a jerk in line like everyone else. Right. And, right. and they're happy to me. That's, that's success. And, uh, so that's, that's my current definition as I continue to work on this. For my that's, family. that's what I love about these answers is they're, they're free flow. Like they're never set in stone. It seems like, and I think I'm pretty similar to you in the fact that I kind of have an idea of what success is to me. I kind of know what I want in life, but what I mean, we're always constantly searching for that, right? And, and that's not something I want to constantly be searching for. So that's why I asked the question. It's like, 
I know this is always going to change, but I want to be able to stay true to what it is to me. Is that kind of how you were asking the question? Yeah. Well, and fundamentally no one that I've ever talked to answers it with, you know, stuff or money or material things. Um, as you know, in that definition, a lot of it comes down to freedom. Um, you know, success to me is also about being able to do what I want to do when I want to do it. That's a value to other people, not just sitting on a beach. Like that could be success, but sitting on the beach, retired, doing nothing doesn't feel successful to me. Right. Right. That, that doesn't resonate with me. So for me, it's being able to provide whatever I can to other people the most of the time each day is, is success. Like being on this podcast for me, like this is success. This is super fun. If it helps anybody, it's great. You and I having a good time. Like this is success. Like this to me, this makes me happy. Yeah. This present moment. That's one thing I always come back to is being present. And I catch myself so many times like drifting into la la land. Sometimes when I'm not supposed to right, thinking about this and that leads to this, and that leads to this, that leads to this. How can I get here by doing that? And I have to be like, okay, Mason, stop. Like, stop, yeah. because none of that matters unless you start with the here and now. None of that searching matters unless you take the step now. And I think that's been an overlapping theme for us today, right? Is all of that doesn't matter without the action and being here. So, well, Jason, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. It's been it's been a blast, and look forward to keeping up with you and everything that you're doing. Where can everybody find you? Uh, oh, I appreciate you having me on here. Super fun. Exactly what I figured would happen as we go all uh, kind of over the place. You you yeah. guided things pretty well. I know we probably could have kept ripping on this for another hour or two. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, easiest place, like one simple place is jasoncutter.com. Uh, if anyone goes there, they can find everything from the book to the podcast, to coaching, to the consulting I'm doing, to LinkedIn, you know, social media, they can yeah. find it all on there. So jasoncutter.com like is the simplest one-stop shop. Beautiful. Well, Jason, thank you so much for being on the show, man. It's been a pleasure. We'll definitely have to have you back on because like you said, we could have kept, kept railing. We found our little sweet spot there and there's so many good practical tools that people can use and utilize. And that's one thing that I ask y'all, if you're listening, use one of those things. We talked about motivation earlier. It's not enough. So take something that Jason said, take something I said, and then use it, even if it's just one thing. And then share this episode. If you got something out of it, share it with somebody, share with a family member, a friend, someone that you think can get something of value from this talk as well. So thank you all so much for tuning into another episode of the Breathe and Air podcast. Have a great rest of your week.